Could you imagine being Jeremiah? Because uh, Jeremiah spent the night in one of these. Or maybe, Ethan, you have that other picture. Maybe it was that kind. I'm not sure which one I'd want to spend the night in. Neither. Neither one. I mean, all I did was preach. Preach the truth. And I end up in one of these. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I, 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 for a fleeting moment this week, thought about trying to just even take a nap in here to see what it was like, let alone spend the night. That was a fleeting moment that didn't even last a fleeting moment. I wouldn't want to sleep in this. I mean, my ankles are already sore, and I think I've only been in here about, oh, 10 minutes. Oh, what a miserable place to be. Is it any wonder why Jeremiah... If you take your Bibles and turn to chapter 20, when the governor, the governor of the house of the Lord, one of the priests, smote him, put him in stocks, and all I had done, Jeremiah had done, was to pre proclaim to him and to all the people in Judah the words of the Lord. Chapter 19, verse 15, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon this city and upon all her towns all the evil that I have pronounced against it, because they have hardened their necks that they might not hear my words. Now you might think after hearing a warning like this that the people would say, uh-oh, we better watch out for hard necks, stiff necks. You know what that means? Somebody who has a hard, hard neck, we say it nowadays more like hard-headed, but also stubborn, but stubborn not in a way that is, um, mm, stubborn in a way that won't listen to truth, won't do what is right. And here God says all these things I've said, and in fact, if you look at chapter 19, Jeremiah had just taken all the elders, the ancient of the land, out into the valley of Tophet, there into the valley of the son of Hinnom, that valley right outside the city of Jerusalem. And he took in there, in their presence, he broke a clay pot in their sight. Do you remember that? And he said to them in verse 11, even so, this is the Lord speaking, I will break this people and this city as one breaketh the potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again and they shall bury them in Tophet till there be no place to bury that's a pretty serious judgment curse and it's after this that Jeremiah came back into the temple into Jerusalem and that's when he pronounced this word and you remember Pasher the governor of the house of the Lord one of the priests came and smote Jeremiah carried him away and put him in stocks. It was in the high gate of Benjamin. Now that's the place where criminals get put to be humiliated. 
to pay for their wickedness. But had Jeremiah done anything wrong? Huh? Yes or no? No. He had simply proclaimed to them the word of the Lord. And he ends up here. Now, I'm kind of curious as the people pass by the rest of that day of how they interacted with Jeremiah. It doesn't tell us. I wonder, did they come by and throw rotten tomatoes at him? Throw their rotten vegetables at him? Did they make fun of him? Did they mock him? Don't know. I wonder how Jeremiah responded. Maybe some, I imagine, mocked. Considering the condition of the people in Jerusalem, it wouldn't surprise me. Maybe some of them took note. Maybe some of them came and said, Now, um, Jeremiah, what did you say that got you here? What did you prophesy? Maybe he had the opportunity to share the Word of God with more people. Chapter 20 is a little difficult because it kind of goes back and forth in some things. It's, it's an interesting chapter because the history of the narrative is at the beginning of the chapter. And then, beginning in verse 7 through the end of the chapter, it's really kind of a... Mm, um, well, my Bible says, it puts a title here. It says, Jeremiah complains to God. And, and it's kind of interesting because Jeremiah does kind of complain to God. And I don't know if verses 7 through 18 take place after Jeremiah gets out of here, because I'm giving you the head of the story, he gets out of this. Or if it takes place, some of it, while he's in here. I have a theory. My theory is that all of the, form, the thoughts were formulated while he was in the stocks, and then when he got out of the stocks, he wrote it down. That's my theory. But it's interesting to see how he talks to the Lord. See, look at verse 7. He says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Ah, here's a little hint about how people were treating him. Uh, everyone mocketh me. This is the place of humiliation. Jeremiah says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me. What do you think he's talking about? Take your Bibles and turn back to Jeremiah chapter 1, because remember, God gave Jeremiah some promises, didn't he? Do you all remember those promises that God gave to Jeremiah? They're kind of interesting. I mean, you remember God said to Jeremiah that before I formed thee in the belly... I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, I set thee apart, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then later on in this time of God calling Jeremiah, God says in verse 17 of Jeremiah chapter 1, Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. And that's exactly what Jeremiah did, that it got him here is he spoke the words that the Lord had commanded him. And look, God told him, God said to him, Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defense city and an iron pillar and a brazen wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land thereof. Well, God just now says that he's like a defense city. He's like a fortress. 
against everybody, the kings, the people, everybody. Look at verse 19. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. Hmm. Do you hear that promise? And now, do you wonder why maybe Jeremiah is saying over in chapter 20 and verse 7, Oh, Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. You know what I think is going on in Jeremiah's heart? He's wondering if, if, if what God said is really true. God said that he, they, they'll fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. Now you all tell me, does this look like somebody's prevailing against Jeremiah? It sure does to me. This doesn't look like I'm this fortress that they can't fight against. This looks like a pretty lousy place to be. You see, in the beginning when God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, who am I? I'm but a child. I can't speak. And God said, I'll tell you what to say. God's given him the things to say. And Jeremiah said it. He's spoken it. But you know, about now, he's ready to resign. This looks like a good place to resign, right? You know, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to be that brazen wall. I signed up to be that one that they couldn't prevail against. I didn't sign up to spend the night in stocks. I don't know how many of you would sign up to spend the night in stocks. I better put my hand down. I sure wouldn't. Jeremiah didn't either. Jeremiah reminisces in verse 8. He says, for since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. You see, he's realized that as he is sharing the word of God, and you know, for the most part up at this point, the word of God, oh, it's been a whole lot of warnings of judgment. And you know, I think it had an impact on Jeremiah as much as it did on some of the people. Well, I actually think it had more of an impact on Jeremiah than it did on the rest of the people because Jeremiah actually believed it. And it was depressing news. It made him weary, especially when nobody would listen. Nobody would hear. Instead, people did this to him. They wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't accept the truth. And then look at verse 9. Verse 9 is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Because here we have the official resignation of Jeremiah. You say, well, that's your favorite verse. Yeah, because keep reading the whole verse because it's more than just his official resignation. Then said I, this is why I think it's an account of what happened while he was still in the stocks and then was written later. I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. As Jeremiah, I believe, was in those stocks or sometime around about there, either before or after, he said, it's done. I'm not going to speak any more in the name of the Lord. I'm not going to speak in his name anymore. 
I quit. But his word, Jeremiah says, God's word, Jeremiah says, his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary of forbearing. I could not stay. You see, Jeremiah, though he was in stocks, though he was oppressed, though he was mistreated, all for preaching the word of God, even when he wanted to quit, as he thought upon the words of God, he realized that God's word was like in his heart as a burning fire shut up in his bones. It was a passion. It was a passion. He couldn't quit. He says, I was weary with forbearing. It was so burning hot in his bones that, that perhaps as those mockers came by, he just kept his mouth shut. And he became weary of that. Now, these are the mockers. These are the stiff-necked people. I mean, maybe he was in that kind of one. People are coming by. What, what would the people say to him? as they're mocking him. You tell me, if you'd been put in the stocks like this and you had people coming along mocking you, would you speak to them the word of the Lord when the word of the Lord is, beware, 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 judgment's coming. I don't know, I think I'd be kind of like, yep, I'm not saying anything. All that's going to do is get rotten tomatoes thrown at me. Jeremiah said, I quit. I'm not speaking in the word of the Lord anymore. And I think even as he was in those stocks, enduring, <laughs> it ain't comfortable. And enduring the mocking, the word of God was still in his heart as a burning fire. And he was weary. He became tired of not speaking the word of the Lord. And so he spoke the word of the Lord. He could not stay, he says. He couldn't stop. He couldn't keep from speaking of the word of the Lord. Verse 10, for I, for I heard the defaming of many. Picture him again as he's in the stocks. I, I imagine especially in that kind. You know, you can't really do much. Can't see much, but you can hear a lot. I heard the defaming of many, fear on every side. You know, we think of people in the stocks sometimes, we think of the rotten tomatoes. But actually, there's records of people doing a whole lot worse to people in the stocks sometimes. Can't do anything about it. Fear on every side. Report, say they, and we will report it. Oh, what a nice mockery. Here Jeremiah is, I quit. And then to make matters worse, the people come to him who don't want to hear the words of the Lord. They're stiff-necked. They've been refusing to hear the words of the Lord. And now when he's in the stocks, mockingly they come to him saying, report to us the words of the Lord and we'll spread it abroad since you can't. Imagine how terrible and cruel that was. 
He says, all my familiars watched for my halting. What are familiars? Well, these are the people who are familiar with who he is. Now, I think it's interesting that they're called here familiars rather than friends, because um, these aren't friends. They're, 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 they should be friends, but they're not. They hang out and sometimes maybe act like they're his friends, but, well, when you see what they're saying, look what it says here. These familiars saying, peradventure, he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge on him. Here he is in the stocks, miserable, quitting, but yet can't quit. He's too passionate about what God's given him to do. And they're all around just waiting for him to curse God. Just waiting for him to mess up. Just waiting to catch him in something. So that they, they can have their revenge on him. Going around looking for him to make a mistake. Going around watching him to mess up. Look at verse 11, though. And again, picture Jeremiah in the stocks. That dark, dreadful night with fears all around. He says, but the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. I love Jeremiah, and actually you'll see this in the Psalms. You'll see this all through the scriptures of men of God who are being persecuted for what is right. And they are honest about their troubles. They're honest about what's really going on in their hearts and in their minds and the trouble and the pain. But you notice then how they bring in the Lord? The Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. Here as he is in these stocks and fears all around, and everybody's trying to do him wrong and mock him. He moves his eyes and his thoughts from the stocks and from the mockers to God. You know, we can learn from that. When we're in the littlest or the biggest of trials or problems, let's move our eyes from the little problems and move them to God. That's what Jeremiah did here. That's exactly what he did, and he recognized and he understood, and he believed the word of God, knowing that these people will be judged, just as God has said. Verse 12, but O Lord of hosts, that triest the righteous and seest the reins and the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I opened my cause." This is fascinating because Jeremiah asked the Lord first and foremost to try his heart, to try his reins. The reins are, are, are literally the kidneys, which picture the filter of our, which our kidneys are a filter of our blood, and it's a picture of the filter in our lives. And, God, and Jeremiah here says, you know, try, you try the righteous, you see the reins, you see the heart, you know who I am, you know where I'm at. I give my cause to you. You know, we should do the same. It's interesting here that he's acknowledging that he has a heart that could lead him astray. 
In fact, in one of the earlier sermons we looked at last week, remember he said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Then he prayed, search me, O Lord. Here he is in the midst of this, and he sure does want to see vengeance brought on all these people. It's put him in here, and they're all about him, mocking him. These people who should be his friends, but they're not. And he asked the Lord to try him. Try him. Is he righteous? Is his reins and heart right? He wants to see vengeance upon the evildoers. But notice that even as he's asking for vengeance, that is justice and execution of righteousness upon the evildoers, he's asking God in the midst of it to try him. Now, you picture Jeremiah with me. He gets beat up by the governor. He gets put in stocks, and he gets left there all night. Now, how many of you could imagine Jeremiah there, you know, did you guys check out my pillow? I got a fancy pillow here. Yeah, you see my pillow? Isn't that a cool pillow? There's lots of guys who had rocks for pillows. I don't know if Jeremiah had a rock for a pillow, but they probably didn't give him any pillow, so he probably had to reach for something. That might have been the only thing nearby. How, how many, how many guys do you think would be here in this night and you're, you're, you're there nearby, you live nearby the gate of Benjamin and you've, you've heard and seen what happened to Jeremiah perhaps you walked through that gate that morning and you, you saw this situation then that night you're laying in your bed and, and all of a sudden you hear something this is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Tell me, does that make any sense to you? That a guy who just got beat up and put in stocks would be singing? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Do these words 
does singing make any sense in the stocks? When you refocus your attention to the Lord and you ask the Lord to open your cause, look at verse 13. Sing unto the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. For he hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. I think it's significant he uses the word soul and not body. Because his body is bound in shackles. The stocks. But yet his soul is free. And he's able to sing. Imagine what the governor of the city, dear, dear priest Pasher, must have thought. That stiff-necked man who smote him, put him in the... In the stocks, hears him singing. And you might say, wow, that Jeremiah, he's got faith. Huh. More than I got. I, I couldn't be like Jeremiah. Hey, wait up. He just now singing. Then look at the next verse. 14. Cursed be the day wherein I was born. This must be at about 3 o'clock in the morning when he has to go to the bathroom and he's stuck. I don't know. I, I love Jeremiah. I love the Lord. I love the word of God and its honesty. Jeremiah knows the truth, but you can see he's a man, and he's really torn. This is really getting at him. Sometimes you ever been bothered by your lack of faith, your own weakness in a time of trial? Take encouragement from Jeremiah. Here he is, and you know, we could be saying, look at this, sing, sing, sing to the Lord. Hmm. I don't know quite what to make of this lament here from 14 through 18. I think he realized that his soul was delivered, and then he started thinking more about his body. Cursed be the day wherein I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bear me be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born unto thee, making him very glad. Hey, this is Mother's Day. What a great passage to teach on on Mother's Day. Let that man be as the cities which the Lord overthrew and repented not, and let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noontide. Because he slew me not from the womb, or that my mother might have been my grave, or her womb to be always great with me. Wherefore came I out of the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame? Oh, poor Jeremiah, he's miserable. So do you think Jeremiah stayed there? cursing the day he was born, wishing he'd never been born, wishing he died from the womb. That's a terrible thing. That's really bad. 
Jeremiah. I, I, I got to lecture Jeremiah. He's not here right now. But Jeremiah, did you think about what God said about you from the beginning? I mean, let's, let's go back to those promises here that God says. God says to you that he formed thee in the belly and he knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, he set you apart. He sanctified you and he ordained you as a prophet unto the nations. God had a plan for you. What are you wishing you were never born for? That's a terrible thing. So tell me, if this were the end of Jeremiah, or if Jeremiah was recorded in chronological order, and it's not, as we're going to find out here in a few moments, this might be a rather terrible place to end. But I'm convinced that verses 7 through 18 were formulated in the stocks. And then Jeremiah was honest later in writing them down as a postscript to what happened. So what did happen to Jeremiah? Did he decide to just be quit? I'm done with being sanctified of you, Lord. I'm done with giving your message. I'm just done. I quit. I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. Do you think that holds true now? Do you think that all through the night, at the end of the night, that's true? Or do you think that the song to the Lord and he trusting the Lord and he seeking the Lord to try his heart and reins, which, which prevails? Which do you think? Well, let's go back to the story, because the story is recorded only in the first six verses. Well, it started off back in chapter 19, verse 14. For there Jeremiah came from Tophet, whither the Lord had sent him to prophesy. And he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon this city and upon all her towns all the evil that I have pronounced against it, because they have hardened their necks, that they might not hear my words." And so, chapter 20, verse 1, now Pasher, you remember him over here, this guy here, come here, that guy here, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. And it's this guy, Pasher. He smote Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. And here, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, I would notate here, perhaps verses 7 through 18 happen here. For now, it comes to the morning. And it came to pass on the morrow that Pasher brought forth Jeremiah out of the stocks. Do you think he had a change of heart? What do you guys think? You think he had a change of heart? It doesn't say. But hey, it says you took me out of these, so hurry up and take me out. Makes me nervous. Oh, let's see if I can actually stand up with all the... I don't know. Do the blood vessels run across the bottom? Better be careful standing up after being in those all night. He takes me out of the stocks. Oh, oh, we're not done. Because you know, the Lord gave Jeremiah a message for this guy. It came to pass on the morrow that Pasher brought forth Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then Jeremiah said unto him, The Lord hath not called. Oh, wait, 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 Jeremiah. 
I thought Jeremiah quit. Here he gets out of the stocks. And the first thing he does is deliver a message from the Lord to that guy. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were Jeremiah, he's the last guy I would want to deliver a message to. No way, especially, mm, listen to the message. Then said Jeremiah unto him, the Lord hath not called thy name Pasher, but Magar Misib. You know, what's that mean? Now, you all don't know what that means, but he knew what it meant. Your name is now terror on every side. Does that sound ominous? It does to me. Fear on every side. Terror on every side. You see, I think Jeremiah had a miserable night, and I think Jeremiah went back and forth in his flesh, struggling with his spirit. But when he came out, he came out walking in the spirit to use a New Testament principle reversed into the Old Testament. For he speaks to him the word of God, and he tells him, your name is Magar Misabiba. Terror on every side. For thus saith the Lord, oh my, Jeremiah is again giving the word of the Lord. I thought he was done with that. For thus saith the Lord, behold, I will make thee a terror to thyself and to all thy friends. Ouch! Terror on every side. He's going to be a terror to himself and to all his friends. How many of you want to be his friend? Oh, well, wait till you hear what happens to his friends. Jeremiah has that word from the Lord. And they, your friends, shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and thine eyes shall behold it. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive unto Babylon, and shall slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the strength of this city and all the labors thereof and all the precious things thereof and all the treasures of the kings of Judah will I give into the hand of their enemies which shall spoil them and take them and carry them to Babylon. And thou, Pasher, and all that dwell in thine house shall go into captivity. How y'all like that? All you that live in his house. <clears throat> And thou shalt come to Babylon, and there thou shalt die. And shalt be buried there, thou and all thy friends, to whom thou hast prophesied lies. You see, all this time, this is one of the lying prophets. That's why he was partly so stiff-necked, and that's why he ended up putting him in the stocks. You know, I think the only reason that Jeremiah got out of those stocks, I don't, I'm, I'm going to be harder on you than the text does. Okay, can I be that way just for a moment? I think the only reason why Jeremiah got out of those stocks and didn't get killed is because God said, they'll fight against you but won't prevail. He had no choice but to let Jeremiah out. That's the reason why I think at the end of verse 18 of this chapter, in verses 7 through 18, occurred while he was still yet in those stocks. And we see here now Jeremiah's response. 
He knows that the word of the Lord is true, and he has been given the word of the Lord, even though it's a hard one to bear. I mean, it's kind of... Mm. You know, if we go into the next chapter, which is totally out of order, it jumps way forward chronologically, the king sends this guy to come to Jeremiah. Our relationship is weird. False prophet, one who prophesies truth. It's really been troubling. But I see Jeremiah here as one who even when the going gets tough, when things get hard, Jeremiah stayed true. And Jeremiah consisted to share the truth, to preach the truth, even when his own life was at risk. You know, I think we need to learn some things from Jeremiah. We've kind of touched on a few of them, haven't we? Oh, you know, it's not just Jeremiah who found himself in stocks. You guys remember some guys named Paul and Silas? What were they doing one time in stocks? Well, it tells us in Acts chapter 16 that at midnight, they were praying and singing. I think we need to do more singing. In the midst of our heartache, in the midst of our trials, I don't know that any of you have, I mean, I might not know all of you well enough, but I don't think any of you have been put in stocks for righteousness or even persecuted for that much and for righteousness. But in the midst of it, will we commit our case to God and trust Him? Let's always do just that. Take your Bibles now. As we jump to another time in Jeremiah's life, he has another sermon. Chapter 24. And I need a helper. There's a guy who's always been wanting to volunteer to be my helper back there. Philip, you want to come be my helper? Oh, look at that. He had his hand up even before I called his name or even saw him. Come here, Philip. We're going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 24, and we're going to learn about some things from this chapter. It tells us here that the events that take place take place there, about the time of when Jeconiah had been carried away captive to Babylon. And along with him went 10,000 other people. Let's look here a moment at our history. Already has taken place the captivity of 606 B.C. when Daniel and his three friends got carried away captive. Remember them? And the princes of Judah were carried away captive. Then we come to 597 B.C. when Jehoiakim was carried away captive as well as 10,000 of the smiths and, and workmen, carpenters, tradesmen in the land, had been carried away captive, along with Ezekiel and Mordecai. Right about here is where Jeremiah chapter 24 takes place, about this time. It is before that final captivity and deportation in 586 B.C. If we zoom in on the map, it kind of, you can see the three kings here, Josiah, well, not the three kings, but the three main period of kings, and you can see Coniah there, that little sliver, we're at the end of that. And we know here in Jeremiah chapter 24 that this is the time frame of this event, and God has something important to him to teach and to show um, Jeremiah and all of the people. For it, it tells us that this took place here. After that, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the carpenters and the smiths from Jerusalem and had brought them to Babylon. So you see there the red line? That's where we're at right now. 
And it says to us that God showed him two baskets of figs. These are figs. Oh, can you tell a difference between those figs? Well, I don't have any figs, but come here, Philip. Do you see two, two baskets of apples? Now, if you were going to eat one of these apples, which one would you eat? You would eat one of these? Did you, did you check out those? What about those? You wouldn't eat those? Here, here. Smell them. Do they smell good? You sure you don't want this one here? There's a beetle there. You get some extra protein. You sure you don't want this? What would you call this? Would you call this good or bad? Call this bad? Well, as Jeremiah was looking at the two baskets of figs, not apples, you know what? He saw one basket of good figs and one basket of bad figs. But he doesn't use the word bad. He calls them naughty. Evil. Not good to eat. And God is going to use the two baskets of figs, and I'm going to use these two, ba these two baskets, so to speak, of apples to talk about it. <clears throat> you know what? I think that in our modern-day language, we reference back to this day. Have you ever heard of somebody called a good apple? Ever heard a person called a good apple? I think it comes from this time period. Because this is a, a comparison of people. And God says there are some people that are naughty evil, like naughty evil figs, and there are some people who are good, like this good apple. You want this one? Here you go. God has an analogy for the people through Jeremiah. Jeremiah is going to give object. Hey, Jeremiah loves object lessons. Remember his yoke? Yep, that was an 11-year object lesson. And now the good, good figs and the bad figs. God tells Jeremiah that there are some good people. You know, the king has just been carried away captive. Ezekiel, Mordecai have just been carried captive. You ever heard of those guys? Yes. And a lot of other people have been carried away captive. Already, remember in 606 B.C., Daniel and his three friends have been carried away captive. You know, among those 10,000 captives, there were some good apples. There were some good people. There were some good people. Think about Daniel for a moment. Think about his three friends. Here we've got a lot of people in Jerusalem, like that guy over there, you know, who was persecuting Jeremiah, causing all of this trouble. Over in Babylon, that's where Daniel is. He's obeying God. He's trusting God. He's serving God. So are his three friends. Three friends. And you know, there are a whole lot of other, we find out here in Jeremiah chapter 24, good apples or good figs. Good figs. People who believe God. And God uses this as an analogy to Jeremiah. He says to Jeremiah, there's the good figs and there's the naughty figs. There are good people and there are naughty people. The good people, though they be carried away and scattered abroad in the lands and in the foreign lands, I will plant them. I will be good to them. He says, I'm going to be good to those good apples. And some of them I'm going to bring back to this land. But there's a lot of naughty figs. There's a lot of naughty people, evil people. And God says, I'm going to take them, and I'm going to be against them, and I'm going to bring judgment upon them. 
we can read it for ourselves here in Jeremiah 24. For the Lord showed Jeremiah, and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple of the Lord. Verse 2, one basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe, and the other basket had very naughty figs, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. Then said the Lord unto me, What seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs. The good figs? Very good. And the evil? Very evil. They cannot be eaten. They are so evil. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans, for their good. We look at this, and this is the whole point of what Jeremiah has been preaching for all this long time. We look at them being carried away captive as something bad. And God's saying, no, this is the judgment that's coming. Submit to it. That's what Jeremiah has been saying for years. For years, he's been carrying the yoke, saying, put your necks under the yoke. And the people, false prophets, are saying, oh, no, 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 no. They break his, his teaching aid, his, his object lesson, and say, this is what God really is going to do to Nebuchadnezzar within the year. Liars. In fact, God is saying the good is going to be submitting and putting your neck under the Babylonians. And so these that have been carried away, God says, I've taken them away for their good. By the way, if you read the book of Lamentations, you'll realize what God's talking about here is good. And we're going to come to that. Lamentations are the weepings of Jeremiah when Jerusalem falls. He says, God says, for I will set mine eyes upon the good figs, the good apples, for good, and I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them, and I will not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up, and I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole you know, we get in the midst of all of this and we think of all these bad guys and all the terrible things they're doing, all these naughty things. And God's reminding Jeremiah, there's some who will truly know me with their whole heart. But verse 8, he talks about the evil things, those evil people, which cannot be eaten. He says, they are so evil. Surely thus saith the Lord, so will I give Zedekiah. He's the new king. Because see, Coniah, Jeconiah, got carried away captive. And here Zedekiah is the new king of Judah. And his princes and the residue of Jerusalem that remain in this land and them that dwell in the land of Egypt. Oh, that's interesting. That isn't even, hasn't even happened yet and it's going to happen. There's going to be people who are going to go down to Egypt to try to hide instead of putting their yokes, head necks under the yoke of Babylon. God says, I will deliver them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt to be a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all places whither I drive them. And I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence among them till they be consumed from off the land that I gave unto them and to their fathers. You know what the lesson of this is? What is your heart? Have you, by faith, believed God's word and what he says about us all, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? We look at it from now our perspective. Let's fast forward from the days of Jeremiah and bring an application in our modern time when Jesus has already come, died on the cross, risen from the dead, and ascended to heaven. Do we believe the truth that all of us are sinners? And do we by faith believe that Jesus died for our sins? And do we by faith trust in Jesus who has done everything so that we could be saved? And really to put it in a similar picture... 
take our, you know, normally apples go from this to that. How many of you think I can get the apples to go from this to this? That would be a miracle, wouldn't it? Well, you know what? Every one of us need a miracle in our own hearts, something we can't do, and that is allowing Jesus to make us from the rotten, naughty figs to be a good apple. Being a good apple is not someone who is self-righteous and someone who works really hard at being good. In this picture, the good apple is the one whom Jesus, who recognizes that, that they're rotten and by faith humbles themselves before Jesus who will come in and give them a good heart, a heart that trusts him. It's a miracle. Only Jesus can do that. You might think you're a good apple, but if Jesus hasn't made your heart clean, really, you're like this. See that, Philip? And you know, if we continue the story, for the wages of sin is death. We see naughtiness breeding about death. We see it in the apple going to dirt. Same thing will happen to you. Even if you think yourselves like this, you really like this. Only Jesus can transform you from this to this and, oh, keep you like this forever. Trust him. Believe in him. He gives you everlasting life. If you don't believe him and you die having never had the miracle transformation from this to this, your heart washed clean, your sins forgiven, when you die, you'll go to the lake of fire, a place called hell. But if you believe in Jesus and he does the miracle of regenerating your heart and your life, forgiving your sins, you'll live forever. And when you die in this, this life, this body dies, you'll be forever with the Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The message is a little different from the days of Jeremiah, but you see the analogy and the principle is still true. You see the parallel? Really, it all comes down to, do we believe God? We need to believe God, don't we? Do you have some friends you'd like to give some apples to? Here's another one. You want to take the others? Who are you going to give these apples to? You're going to give them to your sisters? You're going to take them all and give them all away for me? Okay, good. Go ahead. Thank you. How about these? You want to give these away? You, in, you don't know any naughty people that might like these? You don't know any naughty people? Oh, he is so kind. Let's see. Who would, some of you might think of somebody to give one of these to. Let's seek our God day by day. Let's hope in him. Let's trust in him. He's the one who tries the reins in heart. Is our heart good, made clean, regenerated by him? Great God, we praise you this day and thank you for your love, your goodness, your grace that you poured out upon us. May we walk daily in that reality. And even in those moments of weakness and frailty of our flesh, may in those moments we fix our eyes upon you, we refocus on you, and may your songs be in our hearts flowing forth. I pray this morning that... For those who have not believed on you as Savior, who have not received you, who have not had their hearts made new and received everlasting life, that today they would believe. I lift them up to you, that you will work in their hearts, we pray in your name. Amen.